You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Oh boy, that Nancy Reagan stamp. June 1st, this year, the first day of Pride Month, Jill Biden presided over a ceremony at the White House to unveil a stamp, a U.S. postage stamp, honoring former First Lady Nancy Reagan. For my younger listeners, Nancy Reagan was the First Lady of the United States in the 1980s. She was married to this guy, Ronald Reagan, former governor of California, former B-movie star who was president of the United States from January of 1981 to January of 1989. And Nancy Reagan was useless when she wasn't malevolent, as was her husband. During the AIDS crisis in particular, they were worse than useless. They were harmful. They stood by and did nothing while tens of thousands of gay and bi men died and the human immunodeficiency virus spread. Their inaction made the AIDS crisis incalculably worse and cost hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people all over the world, gay and straight, their lives. Most infamously, when Rock Hudson was dying of HIV AIDS, he was a movie star, a supporter of the Reagans, a close personal friend of Nancy Reagan's. When he was dying of AIDS... Nancy Reagan famously refused or infamously refused to help him. It was 1985, more than 5,000 Americans had already died, but Nancy Reagan didn't want to, quote, get into it. It would be two more years before the Reagans decided to get into it and do something about HIV AIDS. Anyway, a lot of gay people out there thought it was a little tone deaf of the Biden administration to honor Nancy Reagan on the first day of Pride Month. And for the record, the Biden administration didn't decide to issue a stamp honoring Nancy fucking Reagan. The U.S. Postal Service did that. But maybe the Biden administration could have moved the unveiling up a day or pushed it off into July. On the other hand, you know, there is an argument you could make for honoring Nancy Reagan during Pride Month, I guess. They don't call her the throat goat for nothing. As Vice noted in 2021, an unauthorized biography of Nancy Reagan published in 1992 noted that Nancy was, quote, renowned in Hollywood for performing oral sex. Vice goes on, that was one of the reasons Nancy Reagan was so popular on the MGM lot. So, gay men, turns out we had one thing in common with Nancy Reagan back then, and none of us knew it. And what we had in common with her wasn't access to the MGM lot. And if any of you out there have ever wondered why some people who want to be cured of their gag reflexes bury statues of Nancy Reagan upside down in their front yards, now you know. Seems to me, though, that instead of complaining or continuing to complain about what the Biden administration did on the first day of Pride Month this year, that horrible Nancy Reagan stamp unveiling ceremony with Jill Biden, we could come up with some ideas, some suggestions for things they could do on the first day of Pride Month next year. Something they could issue on the first day of Pride Month next year. I'll go first. I have an idea. A literal $3 bill. But who to put on it? Harvey Milk, Bayard Rustin, Frank Kameny, Storm De La Vera, Sylvia Rivera, Del Martin, and Phyllis Liam. Lots of good candidates out there. But for my money, 
you can't go wrong with putting a founding father in a powdered wig on your money, at least to help people get used to the idea of seeing queers on their money. And there's actually someone who maybe should be on our money already and perhaps would be if the contributions of gays and lesbians and trans and bi people weren't systematically erased from the historical record. Baron Friedrich von Steuben. He was a Prussian nobleman who may or may not have been dismissed from the Prussian military for being gay. George Washington and Ben Franklin didn't have a problem with that. They worked hard to recruit Baron Friedrich von Steuben to convince him to come over and help whip the Continental Army into shape, which is just what he did. Quoting from History.com, when von Steuben arrived in camp, he was appalled by the conditions soldiers had been fighting under and immediately set to work drilling soldiers with strict Prussian techniques. And when he wasn't drilling soldiers, Baron von Steuben actually socialized with his troops. He was very popular. His aides, who included Alexander Hamilton of Hamilton fame, his aides invited a number of young officers to dine at his quarters on condition that none should be admitted that were wearing a whole pair of breeches. After the war, von Steuben moved to a rural estate in New York where he lived in what today we would call a polytriad with his two boyfriends, both adult men he fought alongside during the Revolutionary War, both men devoted to him. Von Steuben isn't entirely forgotten. The city of Steubenville, Ohio is named for him, but I don't think the 18,000 people who live in Steubenville, city of murals, know their town is named after a famous Revolutionary War general who happened to be gay. Steubenville right now is represented in Congress by Republican Bill Johnson, who opposes same-sex marriage even still. Anyway, Joe Biden can make this whole issuing a stamp with Nancy Reagan on it the first day of Pride, make that thing up to us by issuing a $3 bill with Baron von Steuben on it the first day of Pride next year. That's my suggestion. Maybe you have a suggestion of your own. Maybe you've got a better idea than a $3 bill with Baron von Steuben on it. Tweet it at me, at FakeDanSavage on Twitter. All right, coming up on the show, on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And joining us on the Magnum, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, star of television, star of Broadway. He is here. We talk about Broadway, queer coding, Taylor Swift, how he knows her, Pride and Prejudice, Marriage Equality, and Jesse Tyler Ferguson sticks around to give a little sex advice to my listeners. Also, Magnum Subs, we will be dropping a new sex and politics on Thursday. I had a long conversation with Alex Stefan, climate futurist and host of the newsletter podcast, The Snap Forward. We talk climate change, tipping points. We talk about right-wing assholes out there rolling colon, hypocritical assholes like me, still flying despite the damage flying does to the planet. Alex also answers a sex question with me, like all our sex and politics guests. And hey, sorry there was no sack lunch this month, folks. We will be back in July with a new sack lunch for sure. Hi, Dan. 34-year-old cisgender female West Coast. My question today is about cam girls. My boyfriend, whom I love and adore, um, we've been dating for about a year. Serious relationship. He loves and adores me. But he also loves and adores cam girls. He watches girls together on Chatterbait, making out and doing all kinds of other stuff. And I knew this from the beginning of our relationship. And I accept it and try to support it. But in my mind, lately, 
it's become sort of an obsession with cam girls. That's my definition, not his. He's watching cam girls while he's working. He's watching cam girls while he and I are together. And yesterday he chose to masturbate and watch cam girls instead of being with me. And I put on his favorite outfit and everything. Anyways, it was humiliating and my feelings were hurt and I got upset. He defended himself and he said he's free to masturbate to whatever. And I agree with that. And he, at the end of the conversation, he said, I've done nothing wrong. And I said, well, then why do I feel this way? And he said, because you're jealous. And that really got me even more riled up because then suddenly it was my fault. And I don't, I don't feel like I'm in the wrong here. I feel like I'm actually pretty reasonable. I don't want to feel this way. And I don't want to restrict him. And I, I do believe that he'd be free to masturbate to whatever he wants. So I was wondering if you have any advice for me in getting around this or like communicating in a way that is more reasonable. I agree that you shouldn't restrict this guy. I think he needs and deserves complete freedom, the kind of complete freedom, including the freedom from having to take anyone else's feelings into consideration that comes with being single and alone. Yeah. Dump the motherfucker already. He has a problem while I reject the porn addiction model. I don't think people can become chemically addicted to porn. Some people do have a problem. They are not moderate in their consumption of pornography. And in this case, in your boyfriend's case, he is not capable of taking your feelings into consideration, which is something someone with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or an NB friend needs to be capable of doing. I masturbate, my husband masturbates, my boyfriend, everybody masturbates. But, you know, if my husband and I weren't getting along at the moment and we weren't connecting sexually, it would be tremendously inconsiderate if he just popped open his laptop and had a wank at the dining room table while we were hashing something out. Yeah, he's free to masturbate when and where he chooses, but he has an obligation to me to be considerate, to be sensitive to my feelings, to not maliciously or carelessly run roughshod over my feelings. And if we weren't connecting, it would be inconsiderate of him to pick that particular moment, not just to, you know, sneak off quietly and have a wank to clear his head or help him go to sleep, but to have a wank in front of me to choose camboys in his case, or the internet or internet porn at that moment over me. And that's what your boyfriend did. He rubbed your fucking nose in it. Watch his cam girls all the time, watches them while he works, watches them when he's with you. You've only been with this motherfucker a year. Hopefully you haven't signed a lease. Hopefully you haven't scrambled your DNA together. Hopefully you haven't, you aren't wearing a ring. There's no engagement. Get the fuck away from this asshole. You deserve better. You are the kind of girlfriend, patient, indulgent, understanding, that any guy would be lucky to have. And that this particular guy, the guy you're with now, does not deserve. Hi, Dan. 
I'm a woman in my late 20s. I'm seeing a man who I met just before the pandemic, just as I was learning and exploring the world of polyamory. He and his wife were in an open marriage. They decided to open up because she wanted to explore her sexuality. Over the past year, we did take some space from each other because I was not in an emotional place to be in a relationship with him at the time. But we have since reconnected a couple months ago, and he told me that his wife and he are getting a divorce because she has since learned that she is a full-on lesbian, which he is very much supportive of. They have every intention to continue to be in each other's lives, which I am very happy about. But the problem is that their being divorced is more threatening to me than when they were married. It feels like I'm feeling more insecure and more jealous than I ever did before. Even though I know jealousy and insecurity are normal parts of relationships. But I also recognize that this is a very emotionally tumultuous time in their lives. A divorce is a huge life change. They're still figuring out their new dynamic. And I also feel uncomfortable with how I feel. Like I feel very intensely towards this man. I like him way more than I'm comfortable with, honestly, which is no surprise because he is wonderful and he is kind and he is communicative and there's no problems with our relationship. But my question to you is whether I should step back and take some space for my own self-esteem and because of the fact that this time in their lives is so already filled with emotional moving parts or whether I'm just being a big baby about vulnerability and I should continue to see this man who I like very much. If you need to step back, you should step back. You don't need my permission to step back. You don't need his permission to step back. If that's what you need, do it. Step back. But I don't think it's about giving them space. I think it's about giving yourself space. You're anxious about their divorce and The divorce, as you describe it, sounds amicable, and amicable usually means drama-free, so the only drama that's being created here is you. You're creating the drama. You're anxious about their divorce, and you need to ask yourself, why? I suspect it's because you don't want to be or never wanted to be this guy's primary partner, and you were comfortable dating him because he had a primary partner, and so that part was taken. That role was filled. Well, that part ain't taken anymore. That role is open. And I think that may be why you're nervous and scared because he may now want you or be able to want you or expect that he can have you in a way that you don't want to be wanted and you don't want to be had. Getting some clarity from him about his intentions or wants now that he is no longer primarily partnered might set you at ease Still, if you need to step back while you get that clarity, while you have those conversations with him, you totally can and you totally should. If he's been relying on you too much in the wake of the divorce, if he's over at your place all the time in a way he didn't used to be before, if he's expecting more emotional labor from you than you signed up for when he had a primary partner who did most of the emotional labor, definitely step back while you get some clarity. But be on your guard. You need to get clarity yourself first before you ask him for clarity because ego's are a weird thing. You may go to him and say, look, I signed up to be a secondary partner. You had a wife. I don't want to be a primary partner. What is it that you want from me? And he may tell you, hey, look, I'm not looking for a new primary partner. I want to keep things casual. 
I even want to date other people and you weren't somebody I was really thinking of as a potential primary partner. And your ego may rush into that space and be like, ah, even though it's kind of what you wanted to hear and kind of what you needed to hear, it might be hurtful to hear that. I didn't want to be your primary partner, but ah, some part of you, some part of your ego may want him to want you in that way, even if you don't want to be wanted in that way yourself or you're not available to him in that way. So just think it through. Get clarity yourself while you take some space, take some time about what it is you want. Get your ego in check and then ask him what his expectations are of you now that he is divorcing his former primary partner. Good luck. Hey, Dan. 51-year-old bi cis male on the East Coast here. Me and my partner of nearly nine years are on the outs, and I plan to move out of the house that we moved in together sometime in the next few months. It's in her name. I feel like I've followed the campfire rule for the most part, but one of the things that split us apart is that she has been in poor health since March and is due to have her third surgery on her leg this week. She doesn't really have a timetable for healing and being able to use both legs. Friends and relatives that I've spoken to have told me it doesn't really matter how she's doing and I should just leave as soon as possible. I feel like this would be the shittiest thing possible since she's dependent on me to get to her doctor's appointment, take her shopping, pick up things while she recovers. She does have two grown children who live with us but both have their own thing going on and I don't think they want the extra burden of caring for her. I'd like to get on with my life and have some fun before my own biological clock expires, as well as spend time with my about-to-graduate-from-high-school son, who I haven't seen for more than a few days in three years. Do you think I should tough it out for a while longer, or is it time to cut bait? The campsite rule. Leave someone in better shape than you found them. Time is a meat grinder. We all fall apart in the end. At some point, we can't be left in better shape in certain ways, physical ways, because we're just collapsing. Uh, maybe this isn't so much about the campsite rule, which is really about short-term relationships and age gap relationships and whatever else, but it should be about all relationships. You lead everybody in better shape than you found them. Maybe this is the stick the dismount rule. You want to stick the dismount here. When you leave someone, someone you loved, for nine years, you don't want to abandon them by the side of the road. You don't want to leave them in a ditch or leave them in the lurch. I'm a little freaked out that you say one of the things that's splitting you apart is that she has been in poor health. You know, if you're with somebody and you love them and you live together and they get sick, which eventually all of us are going to sicken and die unless we have the great misfortune of being run over by a bus when we're 99 years old on a, our bicycle, we're all going to deteriorate and fall apart. That is not the moment that you want your partner to take one look at you and head for the exit because you can't tap dance anymore. That's when your partner, you hope, will come through for you and be there for you as you would hopefully be there for your partner at a moment like that. All that said, you're not obligated to stay with somebody once you want to leave them just because they're in poor health. If it's not a high-conflict relationship, if it's not an emotionally abusive relationship, you can leave someone and still be there for them. You can 
Love, support, and leave someone. That is possible. You can move nearby and be available to your ex-partner to run some errands, to bring some groceries, to take her to doctor's appointments. However, you say she has two grown-ass children who live with her. And this may be a time when they need to step up for mom and adult children who live at home being what adult children who live at home usually are. I can't imagine they've been shouldering the full expense of maintaining this household. I can't imagine these two kids are paying in more than they're benefiting to running this household. And I would, if I were you, go to those two kids and say to them, look, I'm leaving. Our relationship has run its course. It's not a great time for me to go, but I need to go. I will be available, but not as available. And you two, mooches, need to step the fuck up for your mom. It may be that as kids, they've been taken care of and never had to lift a finger around this house when their mother was in better health. And they just need to be taken by the shoulders and shaken a little bit to realize that they are now at the stage of life, particularly if they are live-at-home adult children, where they got to parent their parent a little bit, where they got to be not the cared for, but the caretakers. And this is a burden that I think if you're a good and decent and kind person, you should be willing to bear with them, but not bear exclusively. Zooming out for a second, you know, this often comes up at the end of a relationship. It's not always... You know, when you're leaving someone, when you want to leave someone, you know the relationship, it's over. Rarely does that happen when everything is perfect in both your lives. You know, sometimes you have to leave somebody who's unemployed or depressed or whose parent just died or who is facing a health crisis. I wish people were better about ending relationships without having to engineer a lot of conflict to justify the end of that relationship. And, all, you know, and I wish maybe we talked about ending relationships a little different. Sometimes we ease out of a relationship instead of ending it. And it is possible to break up with somebody and still come through for them and be there for them in a different way. So, yeah, just a general point I wanted to make there. And it's not a walk I haven't walked. I walked that walk. I ended a relationship. And then like a two weeks later... The guy I broke up with came down with lymphoma. I was there at the hospital. We were exes. We joked about it that, you know, if he'd been diagnosed two weeks before we broke up instead of two weeks after, I wouldn't have been able to break up with him because only an asshole would leave somebody who just got diagnosed with cancer. But I was there for him. You can be there for her as she gets on her, quote unquote, feet with your help and the help of her two fucking mooch ass, grown ass adult kids. Hey there. 37-year-old male, I have a question for you. My wife and I, uh, we've been together for 10 years. We just had our first child. She's seven months old. And, you know, life is great. But her childbirth was uh, very complicated. And, you know, my wife has repercussions from it, which she's fully healed. She's doing great. She's back to her own self. I'm very thankful for that. We got back into having sex about two months ago, and we had it two times, three times. But lately, every time I try to, like, initiate, she not coldly, but just, like, 
brushes it off and then changes subjects or works it off. She's not that interested, it seems to me. I am going to approach to her and talk to her about it. But I wanted to know if there's a possibility or suggestions that you have or how to approach this subject with her. She's a very vanilla person. Uh, she's one of the strongest women that I know. And the only problem is she has very insecure about her own self. And I'm not sure if approaching this would be the best subject. The second part of this question is when I approach this subject of the lack of sex, if it's completely wrong on me to try to even open the suggestions of an open marriage. Again, she's very vanilla and I've been her only sex partner for her whole life. I don't want to hurt her. I, I think we have one of the best marriages that can possibly happen. But I want to approach this subject as softly and as sensitive as possible because I don't want to hurt her. My suggestion right now is to go to her and ask her, you know, do you still want to have sex? Think about it and let me know. But I'm not sure if this is the best way to approach it. There needs to be a chapter added to what to expect when you're expecting addressing heterosexual men. Because you're not the first new dad in an opposite-sex relationship who's called with this kind of question, where the wife has recently given birth to the human that you created together, that you wanted to create together, and it's 10 minutes later and she's not coming through with the sex. What to expect when you're expecting as a new dad is you should expect to not expect much sex at least for a year that you're getting laid, that your wife is fully healed and doing great and pretty much back to her old self. And you guys started having sex five months after she went through the trauma of childbirth at your request and made a baby with you. And you're annoyed that you've only gotten to fuck her three times. My God. And now you want my advice on how to sensitively raise the topic of possibly opening the marriage? No, no. The best time to raise the subject of how much sex you're having and how annoyed you feel about it or opening the marriage is about two years from now. At the earliest, if ever. You know, when people are about to have a baby, I feel like you should get a bassinet and a bottle warmer and a flashlight for the straight guy in that relationship that he can fuck the shit out of for a while while his wife slowly recovers. This is not something that straight guys shouldn't know or have heard from other straight guys that, you know, the person who just went through the hormonal roller coaster ride of crapping out another human being for and with you is going to feel pretty awkward in their body, estranged from their body, probably not that into sex, touched out at the end of the day because they're taking care of an infant and if they're breastfeeding. Yeah, it's just you've got to be able to step back from your own needs or meet your own needs with your own right hand or your very special fleshlight that is in the colors that you painted the nursery. You're going to have to take care of your own needs for a while. Guys, dudes, Jesus, fucking Christ. Yeah, I'm sick of getting this question. I get it all the time. Give your wife some time and space. It is fine, I think, to go to a partner and say, I'm not like, where's the sex? Tap, tap, tap. Look at the watch. It's been five minutes. 
you know, we're still in the maternity ward. The kid's still wearing the little knit hat they put on infants. Where's, can I put my dick back in? No, I think you don't say that, but you can say to someone, I'm looking forward when you're ready to, to reestablishing our sexual connection. I, I don't want you to feel pressured or hurried or rushed. And I know this is like a crazy time for you and you're touched out, but I value that. And I'm looking forward to when we can get that back in our relationship for us. And in the meantime, ain't it great that we put on our baby registry all these fucking flashlights that I can go jack off into until you're ready. Okay? Straight guys, I'm a faggot. I know this about childbirth. You're a straight guy who loves women. You should know this about childbirth and that obstetricians don't tell straight guys this and there's, I should go check my copy of what to expect when you're expecting. Maybe there's a chapter on this in there, but I don't think there is. There should be. And considering the number of calls I get like this, I think it should be chapter one. And finally, as a general note, the time to raise with a vanilla-ish partner the possibility of one day having an open relationship is before you scramble your DNA together with that person. Because once you've scrambled your DNA together with that person, they're going to feel coerced into agreeing to have an open relationship with you if they can't picture parenting as a single person. Talk to your partner before you have a child about what the next decades are going to look like, the next couple of decades while you raise that child together to make sure you're on the same page about where you're going to live, about the faith you might raise that child in, but also about the relationship structure you want. And if you need or want an open relationship or anticipate that you might, that's something you talk about with somebody before you make a baby with that person because if that's not something they can see themselves wanting – they shouldn't make a baby with you and you are obligated to disclose that about yourself to someone if you know that about yourself before you make a baby with that person. PUD, poly underdress, open underdress, that is a thing that happens. It is terrible when that is a thing that happens to somebody who has a seven-month-old infant at home. And anyone who would do that to someone, you know, request an open relationship shortly after having a baby with that person – you're not being good or fair or kind or loving. It's very deeply coercive and not okay. And I say that as a person in an open relationship. Hi, Dan. So I was in a relationship in college with a beautiful woman who was in a sorority, very feminine, and who came from a Persian background in which homosexuality is absolutely taboo. We were in an exclusive monogamous relationship for a year and a half during which we were violently closeted. I was completely out to my family because I had dated women before, but she was completely closeted to her family and regarded me as a best friend. I was able to sleep over at their house and things like that, but I was treated as a best friend. And it remains unclear to this day if any of her family members knew that we were together. The relationship was made more complicated financially. We. I had to support her living with me and pay rent because she couldn't pay rent to live at our college and wanted to live on campus. So there were a lot of complicated factors that led to a situation in which I wanted to get out of a relationship with someone I suspected was actually straight, but who I was living with and had a lot of complicated dynamics about homophobia with. And so it led to me making the unwise decision to cheat on her 
with an actual lesbian, a close friend who I remain together with to this day. Fast forward to today, 11 years later, I'm still with the woman that I essentially cheated on her with, but I have completely made up with my ex and we consider each other to be very close, if not best friends to this day. We talk on the phone every three days or so. And now at 11 years since her and my relationship ended, she invited me to her wedding where she's marrying a man and did not include my partner's name on the invitation. So because we have a really honest and open line of communication now, I asked her if my partner was invited and she said, yes, Dan, do we go to this wedding? And if we go to this wedding together as an out lesbian couple where the culture and the family not only don't accept homosexuality in general, but certainly probably don't want to know that me and their daughter were together. And if we go, how do we be respectful to the family and to the culture? I truly am so happy for my ex. I would never have wanted her to be unhappy. And I'm grateful that she's in the kind of relationship I think she always wanted. And my partner feels the same way. And we just want to be supportive and loving. You know how I know that your ex-partner isn't a lesbian? She didn't go to your wedding. She didn't come to your wedding. Lesbians go to the weddings of their former partners. Lesbians officiate the weddings of their former partners. As for your former girlfriend's upcoming wedding that she says that you and your wife are both invited to, take her at her word. Go to the fucking wedding that you used to live with this woman at college. You're making a big leap here that her family is going to connect a lot of dots in their case and assume that since you're a lesbian and you used to live with their daughter, that that means their daughter was in a relationship with you. No, they're going to think their adult straight daughter had a roommate at college who was a lesbian. And isn't that crazy? They're not going to think, Oh, she was eating your pussy in college or not, depending on how that went down. Doesn't sound like a lot of going down went down in that relationship. So I would, if I were you, Go to the wedding, take the wife, be polite and respectful. You don't have to be closeted. If your ex-girlfriend's family couldn't handle your presence, if the presence of queer people at the wedding as guests would ruin the day or destroy the wedding or freak out her mother, or give her father a heart attack, then it was her responsibility not to invite you and the wife at all. But since she invited you and the wife, yeah, go. Go, enjoy the wedding. Be the lesbians that you are. And lesbians go to their ex-girlfriends' weddings and usually, in my experience, officiate them. Hi, Dan. 20-something by gal living on the West Coast calling. I am trying to date again after a bit of a break. And I am just... I'm looking for something somewhat non-monogamous, not really sure exactly what. I've dated some poly people before, and I've just decided that I don't want to be in a monogamous relationship, especially not forever. That's not what I'm looking for. And I have this play partner that I've been with for a while, but we're just play partners who are friends, and I'm not sure... If I need to be sharing this with people, like in the past, I 
would date on like field and stuff like that and kind of say that I was in an open relationship so that people knew that this person existed and I wasn't like surprising them. But then everyone I was meeting just wanted to fuck because they thought that that's what I wanted. But really what I want is like a primary relationship, primary partner, and not just more sex because I already have that. So I don't really want to go about it that way because what I really want is a relationship. So I'm just not sure how to go about this because it's kind of awkward to just like, I'm not going to put that on my profile <laughs> on like Hinge. It just is like a little bit too much information for everybody to see. And I don't really see this person very often. He doesn't live in my state. We're all dating all these other people at the beginning, right? So, but I don't want to like surprise somebody with this person in my life who I don't really want to just drop just because I met someone. Like I would like to keep him in my life. So maybe I would just need to like put a pause on it while I figure out the relationship style of whoever I want to date. And obviously this is all contingent on me finding anyone that I actually want to date anyway. So the people you were meeting on Field, which is a dating app for people in open relationships and swingers, people looking for casual sex, mostly straight people, thought you were just looking to fuck because you let them think that you were just looking to fuck. That's an assumption that a lot of people on Field make about other people on Field. Totally an instance where you could have made it clear what it was you wanted and what it was you were looking for by using your words. I'm here I don't think I could be in a monogamous relationship, but I definitely am looking at this time for a primary partner and guys who weren't interested in dating somebody looking for a primary partner would fuck the fuck off. Maybe you'd have to wade through a few guys who lied to you, who used their words to lie to you about being open to possibly finding a primary partner via this website. Uh, you would have no way of knowing, you know, you might meet up with somebody who says that they're also looking for a primary partner or open to that and only see them that one time. And maybe they lied to you about their intentions or desires, or maybe, you know, it just didn't work for them, which sometimes happens. But what do you do now? If you want to get on the normie dating apps, you know, where people make the assumption that everybody on these dating apps, even if they're casually dating at this time, ultimately wants what everybody assumes everybody else wants or should want, which is, a closed, sexually exclusive, monogamous relationship. Well, you can withhold this, that you have a play partner in another state for a while while it's casual. But if you reach the commitment stage, you're going to have to tell this person about, you know, the, the guy that you're dating that you met on Too Many Fish or OkCupid okay or Christian Mingle or Farmers Only or whatever the fuck. You're going to have to tell them. You're going to have to disclose. You're not going to, what, you're going to lie about this person's existence, hide this person's existence from your primary partner whom you made a default assumption monogamous commitment to for 50 fucking years? No. Eventually, you're going to have to lay this, not quite a kink card, play partner card down on the table, and then you'll find out. And, and hopefully, that'll be early in the relationship. And you don't necessarily have to disclose the existence of this specific other person early in the relationship while things are casual, but during that getting to know you, getting to vet you stage of 
dating, maybe you're already fucking, you're beginning to hang out some more, see each other more, go on dates. Those conversations will naturally begin to come up about what it is you want, uh, who it is you are, the kind of relationship that you're looking for. And if you're casually fucking around with somebody and you're just hooking up, don't have to put all that out there right away. If you've hooked up three, four, five, six times, maybe, you know, there's a certain point at past which you're allowing someone to make a reasonable assumption about you because monogamy or sexual exclusivity is what most people want. And there's a point past which it's manipulative not to put that out there where the, you know, you're lying by omission by not putting that out there, particularly in opposite sex relationships, same sex relationships, gay relationships. Most people in gay relationships know that most long-term gay relationships aren't monogamous and there's some allowance for outside sex. So those, anybody who makes that assumption in a gay relationship that what you want is lifelong monogamy, again, that's not a reasonable assumption to make about another gay man, but it is a reasonable assumption to make about a straight person in an opposite sex relationship. And you're going to have to put that out there. I'd say once you begin to really hang out, really like somebody, fuck them again and again and again, you're going to have to disclose. And at that point, yeah, maybe you disclose the existence of this one particular other person. Maybe not. Maybe you hold that back for a little bit, but you're going to have to put it out there eventually. I think you should put it out there at the same time that you say that you disclose that what you want is an open relationship. And then that person having been fully informed of your intentions, desires, wants, can make an informed decision whether to keep seeing you or not. Hey, Dan, I am a 20-year-old trans man, and I am dating a cisgender male. Our relationship is honestly great. I mean, I couldn't be any happier. But I am quite the sexually exploratory type, meaning that I've had a couple partners, and I am his first ever in anything when it comes to kink and when it comes to sex. Like, I took his virginity and everything, and you know, that was such an honor that I was, that he chose me, you know, to be able to take that from him. But I guess sometimes I feel like I'm depriving him from sexual experiences with other partners, and I don't know what your advice would be. I mean, I've had conversations with him like, hey, would you like to try a three-way or would you like to have an open relationship? Not because it's something that I seek, but because I want him to be able to have experience and I want him to be able to be happy and know that he has a relationship that he can truly be open in. He tells me that he's fine and, you know, he's really happy that he waited and, you know, chose me to lose his virginity with and things are getting pretty serious we've talked about marriage and stuff because we're going on two years now but uh you know taking things slow i just wanted to get your advice um because i don't ever want to feel like i'm depriving from anybody but i also have a bit of a low self-esteem and i tend to tell myself you know that i'm not enough or that i should be doing more i'm very much the type of person that pushes for more when it comes to a relationship and wanting to put the hundred percent in my partners. Joining me to help answer this question, because why the hell not? Emmy and Tony-nominated actor, author, producer, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, currently playing the role of Mason Marzak in the Broadway revival of Take Me Out. His new documentary that he produced, Broadway Rising, premieres at the 2022 Tribeca Film Festival. Hey, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, how are you? Hello, hello. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone with me to talk about this today. Absolutely. 
It may seem random, but it's not so random. Uh, this is a question that touches on marriage and manners and conventions, at least in part. And you are the narrator of a new scripted podcast called Gay, Pride, and Prejudice, available now exclusively on Spotify. Before we get to the caller's question, tell my listeners about Gay, Pride, and Prejudice. Well, yes. Yeah, so Gay, Pride, and Prejudice is an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice set in 2015, right after marriage equality was nationally legalized. And it's for any Jane Austen fan, it's a really fun listen because uh, Jacqueline Grady, the writer, is very um, loyal to the original relationships and Pride and Prejudice. But for people who don't know about it, you know Jane Austen, it's also a, a very fun listen. You know, I sort of like equate it to Clueless, which a lot of people don't know is based off of a Jane Austen novel. And, you know, it certainly does not take any um, <laughs> Jane Austen experts to enjoy Clueless, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. So anyway, it's, it's scripted podcasts are so fun. It's a, it's a it's a genre that I think I'm just now sort of getting into and, uh, you know, even as a consumer and it's just, it's a, it's a great way to pass time. So I, I'm, you know, I also live in Los Angeles most of the time. So I'm always looking for ways to keep myself stimulated while driving in traffic. <laughs> that's why I can't live in Los Angeles. Um, I'm enjoying this kind of revival of the great radio serials, uh, yeah. of the early 19th, 20th century. Um, I got to listen to the first two episodes of Gay Pride and Prejudice. Really enjoyed it. You're hilarious. You have that Thank you. Um, wonderful uh, sardonic tone, which is perfect for the narrator of a Jane Austen story yeah. or a riff on a Jane Austen story. You got to love those uh, long dead authors and that source material that's in the public yeah. domain. Um, that's what keeps things like Pride and Prejudice relevant. Um, somebody may have seen Clueless first and then they go see Pride and Prejudice. Somebody may listen to this and then go read Pride and Prejudice. Absolutely. I feel like it's like the Bible, Shakespeare and Jane Austen are like the three like <laughs> books that will like will be adapted and like will withstand the set of test of time. I, I, I agree. Okay. The so Bible, talk- the Bible specifically will really withstand the test of time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's I did always a, quoted to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right. Speaking uh, of marriage equality, really quickly, you were involved in that movement. You mm-hmm. uh, helped raise money to support marriage equality before yeah. uh, the legalization. So uh, thank yeah. you for the role that you played in oh, my making goodness. marriage equality happen. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's my uh, honor to be a part of that movement. and really support the people who are truly in the trenches fighting for it. You know, Justin and I uh, have been as active and outspoken as, as we possibly can be, but it really, I mean, it, it was, it was a, that's a, was a group effort and now it's a group effort to try and keep that. <laughs> yeah. 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 A group effort to try to get voting rights back and a group effort to try to overturn the overturning of Roe. Nothing in this mm-hmm. country is ever settled. Nope. Um, couple other things I wanted to talk to you about really quickly before we get to the question, which is my excuse mm-hmm. to have you here. Not that your question caller isn't important to us. It is. And we will address your issues in just a second. You are, of course, best known for your appearance in a Taylor Swift video. Oh, is- <laughs> yes. A very brief, probably three second appearance um, in the you need to calm down video. That's right. How did that right. happen? How did you wind up in a Taylor Swift video? Well, we were we were friendly-ish with her. I mean, we uh, were big fans, and um, uh, she's very good to her fans. And we met her through uh, at one of her concerts. I was I, I got to go backstage and meet her, and she was just so kind. And then when Justin and I were raising money for um, for our, our foundation, and, and uh, we were celebrating, it was the year that uh, we were celebrating. Was it fifty years of Pride in New York City in Stonewall, or maybe it's a the anniversary of Stonewall actually. And when we did a big event there and we sort of on a whim, just asked her if she would pop in 
to Stonewall, which is for those don't, who don't know, this tiny little hole in the wall bar that, that's been in the West Village for, for many years and obviously has great historic um, re- relevance as well. Um, that's where the Stonewall riot started. But uh, she popped in and she sang a few songs and uh, people lost their minds. And I bet. And then on the heels of that, she was putting together her music video for You Need to Calm Down. And for anyone who's seen that video, knows that it's just like a who's who of gay culture. And um, and so she asked Justin and I to be a part of it. And it was a, a true thrill. And then we got to go to the VMAs with her, sit right behind her. And then she won. So Justin and I both have two moon men, which is crazy for three seconds of a video. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah, she is really yeah. good to her fans. Ex-boyfriends, yeah. maybe not so great. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, they, they they are the inspiration for some great songs, though. True, true. Um, I want to geek out for just a minute about something else that you're best known in my house for, which is appearing in the Broadway revival of On the Town in 1998. Uh, you played Chip opposite Leah Delaria, who played your love interest, Hildy. Yes. As always, when, you know, people play romantic you know, a couple that gets together in a film or a, a movie or a play, everyone wants to know if you guys really hooked up in real life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ironically, Leah and I just had dinner uh, last night together. I took her out for her her birthday and she, uh, I think her 65th birthday, I think she's 65 now. And yes, the love affair is strong. It's very, very strong. <laughs> You're fluid sexually, but just for Leah Delaria. That's right. I, I saw you in uh, On the Town um, playing Chip, uh, and, and you were great, and it was great, and, and Leah's always great. I love Leah yeah. Delaria. She's such a, a talent, um, and such a Broadway, you know, Broadway the way Broadway was like in, in the golden age, where like somebody mm-hmm. could be big and brassy and a character actor, you know, an, an Ethel Merman, right? And that's yes, kind of who Leah is. And just to geek out about Broadway for a second, because you're, you know, a Broadway actor, you're on Broadway right now, this, the way in so many musicals, you know, after the 70s, 80s, 90s, every romantic lead was, became sort of blandly, uh, you know, square jawed, blandly handsome. And what I loved about your chip, it was kind of a callback to, you know, Charles Nelson Mm Reilly played Cornelius in the original production of Hello, Dolly!, yeah. Like a romantic lead could be like, you know, coded queer or read queer or actually, right. you know, Charles Nelson Raleigh kids, your case, be kind of queer. Right. And that was part of like what made these shows like textured and interesting and fun and acerbic. Yeah. And yeah. so I want that to come back. I don't ever want to see, you know, uh, Curly can be blandly attractive in, in Oklahoma, but Will has to be a kind of queer coded weirdo. Mm-hmm. That's what those roles are supposed to be. Not everybody right. has to be just like, right, Ugh. right. I know, I know. All right, let's talk about this caller's question, which gave me an excuse to to get yeah. you on the phone. Talking about marriage, twenty mm-hmm. years old, but taking it slow. Are you taking yeah. it slow if you're talking about <laughs> marriage and you're twenty years old? I know it's crazy. I, you know, it's funny when Justin and I, uh, Justin's ten years younger than me, and I proposed marriage after. I guess a year and a half of dating. And I thought that was really fast, but I was, I sort of felt like I'm 10 years older. Like let's get this going. And I was a little nervous though, to, to sort of uh, echo back to the original question. I was nervous that I was maybe forcing him at such a young age to get involved in something so serious. I thought, you know, maybe he would want to like date around a little bit more, but he made it very clear to me that he was ready to, you know, get serious and, and settle, settle down. And, 
wanted to do that with me. So I took those cues and you took yes for an answer. In that. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. kind of what this caller needs to do. Right. Listen to his right. boyfriend who is saying, I'm perfectly satisfied being with you yeah. and this being what it is right now. And he doesn't want to open the relationship. He isn't missing, doesn't feel like he's missed out on anything. And, you know, whether the relationship lasts forever or is a, you know, a good short-term relationship that lasts for a summer or a year or two, take that yes for an answer and stop stressing out, mm-hmm. caller, about yeah. what you feel like he might feel like he's missing out on, but he's telling you he doesn't feel that way. You got to believe him. Right. And then enjoy the relationship for what it is. It's the caller actually wanting to maybe, you know, have options available to him. And that's the way he's, you know, expressing that, this sort of thinly veiled, you know. Yeah, maybe. I, I wrote down possible projection here. In my yes, notes. exactly. Exactly. You know, why don't you get out there and, and, and mess around and have some fun, dot, 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 because then maybe yeah. I can get out there and mess around and have some right. fun too. If that's what the caller is doing, um, and maybe the caller, maybe it didn't occur to you that that was what you're doing, because sometimes subconsciously we're not aware of, mm-hmm. we don't, we can't smell our own shit until somebody tells us we farted, you know? Yeah. Uh, maybe that's what's going on here, but I'm going to take the caller uh, you know, the facts and evidence and assume that's not what's going on here. And if you're just worried that he's restless and he's telling you he's fine, but I, but I do yeah. want, I always jump on 20 year olds to say they're talking about marriage and want to like shelve that. Yeah. Yeah. For a decade. Yeah. <laughs> no, truly. I, I don't know about your parents, but like mine got married so young. So few of my friends get married at that young age. And, you know, I just, I know I would not have been ready. And I'm so grateful that I waited. Um, Justin, on the other hand, did get married in his mid twenties to me. And I'm happy he did because I love him <laughs> deeply. But you know, I, I, I think most people, especially of this generation, choose to wait a little bit. And I think that that's a pretty good thing. You might be old enough to remember, uh, or, or maybe not. I'm, I'm, I think a decade older than you are. There used to be this whole literary tradition, movies, films, plays about something called the midlife crisis. And mm-hmm. we still kind of jokingly refer to the midlife crisis. Sometimes people talk about the quarter life crisis, but there isn't this just enormous body of artistic work addressing the midlife crisis. And my theory is it's because people have lives now before they get married. Mm-hmm. It used to be that people got married like my parents, like your parents, very young. Right, and right. And woke up at 40 going, what the fuck did I do? I've missed out on so much. Right. And now people live a little. Straight people mm-hmm. live like gay men, mm-hmm. you know, famously <laughs> used to live. Like they move to urban areas. They hook up a lot. They change the name of everything. Yeah. We had yeah. fuck buddies. They have friends with benefits. We tricked, they hooked up. The straight people just took all of our shit and renamed it. Right, right, rebranded it. <laughs> yeah, but you like, but you hear less about the midlife crisis, I think, and that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, fewer, hopefully fewer divorces. Marriage is actually now, you know, there's that famous stat that 50% of marriages end in divorce. People throw that around. Sometimes I throw that around and I shouldn't because it's less true now. People wait to get married right. and those marriages are less likely to end in divorce. Right. So call or wait. Wait. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Just because you can get married at 20 and gay doesn't mean you should get married at 20 and gay. Don't make the mistake. Straight people learned finally to stop making right. a couple of decades ago yourselves. Absolutely. Can I keep you on the line for one more call? Yeah. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. This is a 30-something-year-old woman married with two kids. I had a lot of boyfriends before I got married, but really only one of them was serious. We dated on and off for many years, and I really loved him. 
Shortly after we broke up, I moved to Europe for work and I still live here. A couple of years after we broke up, we reconnected and formed a close friendship. We talked to each other about everything, including our dating lives. We helped each other through hardships and were really there for each other. My ex was seeing a woman who was very emotionally damaged. She had been through some hard times. I was unaware, but he had never disclosed to her that we were still in touch. My then boyfriend, now husband, was always aware of my friendship with my ex and had no negative feelings about it. My ex and his girlfriend were on and off again with a lot of drama surrounding their relationship. We were FaceTiming once and she came home unexpectedly and it got really awkward. She was obviously really upset that he was talking to me. After that, I pretty much never heard from him again, and that was about four years ago. We exchanged a text or two right after it happened where he told me she doesn't understand our relationship. She got pregnant very very early in their relationship, and I think they have another kid now. I've emailed him a few times over the years, just small things like, I heard this band I think you'll like, or a picture of something we had talked about in the past. I told him I miss him and I wish we could be friends again, but he's never responded. I've honestly wondered if he even got the emails or if she goes through his email because it's not at all in his character to just ghost. And this is someone I've known for over 15 years. So Dan, what do I do? Do I just accept that we'll never talk again? Do I try reaching out again? I think about him often and I have a really hard time coming to terms with our friendship just ending like that. So have you ever been ghosted or have you been married so long that ghosting wasn't a thing when you were out there dating? Um, no, I've been ghosted. Absolutely. I mean, and, and less high circumstance um, situations, you know, with maybe some that someone that I was trying to hook up with on, you know, AOL, I am, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and I, then I get blocked. I've been blocked. Is blocked ghosting the same thing? I, I've had very few like meaningful relationships that have just evaporated. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. But where do you mm-hmm. come down on the friends with exes issue? Because that's kind of what this question is about. That's a constant right. theme. She's friends with her ex. Her ex is friends with her. Obviously, yeah. the ex's current is not cool with the right. guy she's dating being friends with an ex. Are you friends mm-hmm. with any of your exes? That seems to be a gay superpower often. I'm not good friends, but not out of not for any reason that I, I, I shouldn't be. Um, you know, early in my relationship with Justin, I was sort of still in touch with one of my, my, my ex from before dating him and, you know, it got flirtatious again. And, you know, that was an issue for Justin. He found out and so like, you know, I absolutely was like, yes, no, I like, I have to pick a lane here. Like we're at the fork in the road and it's like, I'm in this relationship or I'm casually dating you. And it was, that was sort of like, okay, no, we're, we're going to be serious. Um, but it was a catalyst for, for calling our relationship serious. And also it was a opportunity to sort of discuss what we expected from the relationship. And it was an opportunity perhaps for Justin as the younger partner to tell you, I want you to take me more seriously as a potential long-term partner. 100%. Sometimes when you're dating somebody younger, you don't take them seriously as a long-term right. partner. And rather than it be, you know, this whole like age gap discourse on the internet now where it's always like the older partner is portrayed as this Machiavellian manipulator mm-hmm. controlling the younger partner. Often it's the older partner who's like, hey, I'm not making crazy demands or I have no expectations because you're young and I don't mm-hmm. want to tie you down. Yeah. Or I don't want to keep you tied down all the time. I'll let you go once in a while. And <laughs> it's often the younger partner who says, no, 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 no. I need you to take me seriously. I am an adult right. and I right. want to be with you. And 
that crisis in your relationship that your contact with your ex was really an opportunity now in retrospect mm-hmm. for Justin right. to advocate for himself. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think if like if there was, if Justin or I was, were super close with the ex. I mean, I personally feel like I, I have enough trust with Justin that I would, if he was super close and there's someone that was around me and considered me a friend as well, I would, I would be okay with it. If it was a relationship that he sort of kept compartmentalized for just himself, I might not have the same openness to it. But, you know, I think, you know, Justin's close with the guy he dated before me and um, they're not super close, but they stay in touch. And I've, you know, met up with him before and he's a, he's a great guy. And um, I'm happy that Justin had that positive person in his life before me. I mean, I look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously the caller's ex-boyfriend's current girlfriend does not look at it this right. way. Right, right. And yeah. there's not a lot the caller can do. Like, what her ex, that her ex-boyfriend can't even, like, dash off an email or not even dashed off, write her a lengthy email thanking her for the friendship, the time together, her attention, her support, but saying, mm-hmm. you know, now I need to prioritize her in this way that she's asking me to, and so I can't be in contact. That he can't be bothered or arsed as the Brits would say to do even that that yeah. speaks ill of him. I agree. I agree. And I think if his current partner, you know, saw the way he framed that it's sort of like, I need, I need some space from this relationship so I could focus on this new one. I don't understand how she would be upset with that. I mean, there, there was a question of, of her saying, you know, I've right, tried to reach out to him. I've sent him emails. I'm not sure if she's intercepting them, you know, and of course you'll never know. And it's really not, there's no need if to know because if the relationship was meaningful to him in a way that is meaningful to you, you're right there. I think there would be an opportunity to at least reach out and say, thank you for your friendship and please understand this new situation I'm in. I think this is a question about the C word that often comes up, which is closure. And what the caller mm-hmm. wants is some sense of closure and Closure is not a gift you're given. Closure is often something you got to do for yourself. And this may be one of those cases. And mm-hmm. it might be easier for you, caller, to do that for yourself if you remember that, you know, if you just say, okay, well, obviously you can't be in touch with me right now. And so this relationship is over, dot, 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 for the time being. It may be, you may hear from him in five years or 10 years mm-hmm. or after this relationship runs its course that he's in now or after the woman he's in a relationship with now gets her ass into fucking therapy and isn't so jealous and insecure, gets mm-hmm. past this. Maybe you'll hear from him again and you'll get an answer and an apology, but you can't waste your time right now wringing your hands, right. waiting for it, wondering where it is right. and when you're going to get it because you're not. I also, yeah, I, and I also wonder, is there a reason for his new girlfriend to be upset about this? In the same way that Justin was upset about the way I was in communication with my ex-boyfriend, there was, you know, it was starting to cross a line. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. There might be information that we don't know. And there might actually be reason for her to not want that relationship to exist. <laughs> yeah. If the caller isn't telling us that they were sexting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe. The, the, ex, the gir- current girlfriend walked in on them FaceTiming. Were they jacking off together on FaceTime? Right. That's a very different uh, circumstance than just having a convo. Right. On FaceTime. And you know, when we talk about being, I'm a big advocate of like, it's a good sign when someone you're dating is friends with their exes. You don't want the person you're dating to be having an emotional affair with an ex that crowds you out. Um, Or, you know, if the relationship is exclusive, you certainly don't want your current person having a sexual connection 
mm-hmm. with an ex. A lot of times when I talk about being friends with exes, what I mean is like you see them, you, you run into their ex in a bar or a restaurant and you can mm-hmm. have a conversation and be cordial and you don't have Absolutely. a... And you don't have a meltdown about that. The current right. partner doesn't have a meltdown about that. That's a bad sign. If you're with somebody and you run into your ex and then your current partner punishes you for even having an ex out there in the world. Right, right, right. Like, what were you supposed to do? Yeah, we broke up, so I killed him. So you would never yeah. run into him <laughs> at, at a sushi place. It's, this, totally. And this is like a more of a straight person thing than a gay person thing. Straight people really do want exes disappeared forever. Um, and the, the, the bro code and the sister code where you can't date somebody that a friend, you know, a friend can never date somebody you dated. Right. We don't right. do that shit in gay land. There's no, too few of us true. to like, yeah. <laughs> I peed on this bush so you can't uh, ever. Right. Yeah. Right. No. The, one of the things I love about being gay is when I've been able to, you know, hooked up with a guy a few times, really liked him, thought he was a good person, um, and been able to, you know, not hand him off like a baton, but like fix him up with somebody I knew who I yeah. thought he would really click with. Yeah. And then that yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've introduced yeah. a couple of people I dated to the people that they married and I don't feel like bad about that. I feel great right. about that. Right. 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 And I wish I people it, would I be, gave, yeah. they took tricking, they took, you know, hooking up or they took fuck buddies <laughs> and they took tricking and they renamed it. They should take friends with exes and yeah. to be cordial with exes from us too. Yeah, yeah. I screened this one for you. It's good. You can have yeah. this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave it a test run. Vetted and vouched. Vetted and vouched. <laughs> I slept with you and I know what you like. And it yeah, was yeah, yeah. exactly what I wanted. I slept with him and I was like, oh, you should sleep with. Yeah, right, right. It's called you networking. Perfect. Yeah. Basically what networking <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> networking with your pants off and your mouth open. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so your schedule must be really nuts right now. If you're producing a film, you're starring in a, a Broadway show. Yeah, and you I'm, must a, be, I'm a new dad too. I have a two-year-old, so you know it's a lot. Oh my gosh! I yeah. how did I not know that? Congratulations! Two-year-old and another one on the way. So yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, you should yeah. go for three because my mother always said no. you're not a parent till you're outnumbered. No, absolutely not. We we saw <laughs> we saw an outnumbered clan the other day, and I was like, I can't. I'm well, never, never. I'm too old. Well, the good thing about gay people <laughs> having kids is we don't do it by accident. So you're no, that's not true. Gonna, it's, Surprise. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, belated congratulations to you and Justin. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, advance congrats on the, on the next one. And I'm casting you in all sorts of Broadway shows that I want to see revived. Please. Yeah. In my mind right now. (laughs) Uh, And uh, if I get to New York, I'll come see, um, take me out. Wonderful. Thank you. Everybody should check out exclusively on Spotify right now, gay pride and prejudice, which Jesse Tyler Ferguson narrates i've listened to two episodes it's really hilarious i'm going to listen to all of it and you should too uh and i look forward to seeing uh broadway rising which is your new documentary about broadway returning after covid <sighs> has broadway returned after covid i keep reading about shows having to shut i know but we're, we're stumbling through with this some there's some potholes in the road but you know we're back on the road which is good great, great. Well, you, you know what? You're really good at giving sex advice. If you ever want to come back on to, to <laughs> plug another project and take another couple of calls from my listeners, I'd love to have you back. Of course. Of course. Thank you for having me, Dan. Dear Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at-risk youth, mid-30s female here calling from Canada with a question about a friend. So I've been friends with this person literally my whole life, but we haven't always been super close. We've gone through periods where we talk a lot and other periods where we don't talk for months on end. In November, I gave birth to my first child, and throughout my pregnancy, we were talking a fair bit. 
I was off work and she had a period where she wasn't working, so we'd see each other and talk fairly often. But since giving birth, I have very, very rarely heard from her. My daughter is going to be six months next week and she has yet to meet her despite many offers on my end. In addition to this, she's been cheating on her husband for the past little while. It started with a long-distance online romance with someone from the U.S. that eventually ended, but she started up a new online romance with someone else, also from the U.S. She recently asked if I would be a signatory for her passport, and I'm afraid that she's going to move to the U.S. without ever having met this person in real life. I definitely think that she should get a divorce, and I never saw her and her husband as well-matched. On top of all of this, she has some health problems as well as some mental health difficulties, and I have tried to keep these in mind when I become critical of her. My main question is whether this is a friendship I should continue investing in or whether I should sort of let it run its course. Uh, It's difficult because, again, we've known each other our entire lives. I also wonder whether I should be trying to stop her from moving out of the country and potentially ending up in a really tough spot with regards to health care and isolation. Pedophobia, not to be confused with pedophilia, pedophobia is a fear of infants. Just climbing out here on a limb, maybe your friend is a pedophobe and that's why you haven't seen her since the baby came. It's also possible that you haven't seen your friend, not because of the baby, but because, and it's coincidence of timing, she's cheating on her husband. She obviously is smashing her hand down on the self-destruct button or the eject button and she wants out. And she knows you disapprove and she feels judged and maybe you're right to judge her. Maybe she's being reckless. If you could call her and tell her that you're not judging her for cheating, that you're worried about why she's cheating and what she's trying to do here and what she's trying to engineer and that she's getting out in a kind of reckless way, you know, ending her marriage in a reckless way that may endanger her. She has a chronic health problem. The last place you want to move when you have a chronic health problem is to the United States of America. And these guys that she's having these online relationships with, she doesn't know them from Adam. You don't move to another country to live with or be with somebody that you've only ever spoken with on the internet. She could be being catfished. So go to her and say, look, people cheat in long-term relationships. People want out of relationships, out of marriages. Sometimes people enter into a new relationship before they've ended the relationship they're in now. That's a thing that happens all the time. Not judging you. I am, however, worried about you. You can send her all that in an email. You can send her all that in a text message. And if you don't hear from her, you don't hear from her. And there's nothing you can do sometimes to prevent a friend or a sibling or a parent or a loved one from making a bad decision or a series of bad decisions. I do think we have a responsibility to speak up when we see someone doing something stupid that's harmful, that's going to fuck their lives up. We have a responsibility as a friend, as a relative, as a kid, as a parent to say something. But yeah, she's an adult. She ultimately gets to make her own decisions and make her own mistakes. And it sucks that sometimes you have to look at somebody making a series of stupid decisions, making dumb mistakes. And after saying your piece, after speaking up, recognizing there's really nothing more that you can do for your pedophobic friend. Hi, Dan. Gay male in his 30s. 
I'd like to get your opinion on something that my friends and I have debated regarding pictures of your ex on Instagram. Backstory, I was with my ex for about three years and we have now been broken up for over a year. Although the breakup was hard emotionally and through me, we ended on good terms and still maintain contact and grab drinks every now and then. So there's absolutely no bad blood. Now on my Instagram, I have pictures from the three years that we were together. Some just fun pics, other more couple and some of us kissing. Now my friends are in two camps with this. Some have just told me I need to delete all pics of him as it looks like two potential dates that I'm not over him or the relationship. Others have said it's okay to keep some, but I should delete the most intimate ones, especially you know, the kissing or coupley looking ones. Now I have taken the approach largely from your advice that I've been listening to for over five years now, that even though the relationship ended, it was still successful. And I want to remember that chapter of my life as he was my first love. And it was a very happy time in my life. And I think Instagram should be chapters of my life. Also, I feel as you have said many times that it would show potential dates as a positive sign that I still have a good relationship with my ex and that there's no bad blood or hate each other. Now, my ex really wasn't that big on Instagram. So there's not a lot of picture of us on his, uh, but there are still are some of us on his, but not as many as there are mine or intimate. I don't think you should have to delete pics of you with your ex from your Instagram. And I agree that it demonstrates something good about you, that you're on good terms with your ex. You're still friends with your ex. You didn't have the kind of, although it hurt, it was painful, it was sad. You didn't have the kind of breakup where you felt like you had to burn everything, throw everything away, delete all evidence of the relationship. And yeah, I think that demonstrates high emotional IQ, good emotional IQ. That is certainly something that if I were single, I would look for in a person, you know, that they're on good terms with their exes and maybe their exes were still on their Instagram. But you know what else I would look for in somebody that I was thinking about dating? The kind of sensitivity and high emotional IQ demonstrated by, you know, even if you were going to keep pictures of you two making out, that maybe those were pictures you didn't keep currently up on your Instagram. Because although they represented who you were to at that time, they don't really represent who you are now. And I would never want to be in a relationship with somebody who was angry that I, you know, grabbed drinks with an ex or still sometimes chatted with an ex. But I could understand the feelings of a boyfriend that I might be with who was uncomfortable, you know, the sort of pre-social media version of those pictures of you kissing your ex. If he had framed photographs of him and his ex on the wall in his living room of them kissing or them on a very romantic vacation together or wedding photos on display in the apartment, you know, after the divorce, that would seem a little odd. It would seem insensitive to me, my feelings. So it's a balance you want to strike between not having to memory hole your ex, not having to pretend you've never been in a relationship before, not having to downplay that this person was important to you and that they still are a part of your life and not wanting to rub somebody you've just met, not wanting to rub their nose in, you know, how strong your feelings were for this person once upon a time. So I think I agree with your friends partly. You don't have to delete every photo of your ex, 
But the photos of you and your ex making out, the photos of you guys kissing or cuddling in a way that's very boyfriendly, maybe those are photos that you keep and cherish and save on your phone, but not on your Instagram. All right, before we get to this week's listener feedback calls, let's read some listener tweets. Jeff Bergstrom tweets, Magnum subs implies the existence of Magnum doms, hashtag Savage Lovecast. We have a lot of Magnum subs around here, Jeff, but only one Magnum dom, and that would be Nancy. Yen Yaps tweets, I know a ton of Christian girls from North Olmsted who loved their church's lock-ins around the same time that youth pastor in North Olmsted was sexually assaulting that child you talked about at the top of the Savage Lovecast. I hope those women I knew were okay. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. Yeah, an overnight lock-in at church with movies and snacks and friends sounds like fun unless you're the 14-year-old girl your youth pastor mistakes for his wife in the middle of the night. And about that same intro, Michelle wrote to me on Instagram to say, can we not refer to the sexual assault of a minor as fucking Dan? She was assaulted, not fucked. I did use the word rape later in the intro to describe what David Walker and his wife did to that kid, but Michelle is right. I should have used rape or sexual assault throughout. And finally, rebooting Billy tweets, one of the things you forgot to mention in your discussion of CNC is a safe word. My dom and I had a CNC agreement for four years. I only ever used our safe word once. Did I leave safe words out of that discussion of consensual non-consent play? Basically, CNC involves two people in a DS relationship agreeing in advance that the dom can go for it even if the sub resists, even if the sub says no, but that same sub, that same dom should agree on a safe word and everything should stop if the sub says that word. Okay, thank you to everybody who tweeted about the show this week. Thank you to everybody who posted to all your different social media accounts about the Savage Lovecast last week. We really appreciate how you help spread the word about the show. And if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now, listener comments. Hey, Dan. This is for the lady in episode 814 who was on the verge of considering to get a divorce from her husband and she loves her kids, but she's been in a sexless marriage for about nine years or so. Your advice was spot on, but I would just like to caution both people in the relationship, especially the man to love your children more than you dislike each other. It's just not a good idea to involve your children directly in the bad parts of your relationship. And don't make the mistake of bad-mouthing one another in front of your children. Just. Whatever you do throughout this process, remember to love your children more than you dislike each other right now. Hi, I am calling in response to episode 814 about the caller who's into CNC and wants to try it with her boyfriend. And if only she could just stop wringing her hands about it. Um, and I wanted to offer my experience with it and some 
ideas about what to try. My boyfriend and I had been talking about trying a little CNC, trying a little bit of like, let me molest you while you're sleeping kind of play for a while. We were both clearly into it. We had gotten verbal consent. And then we went camping. And he didn't actually ever wake up. I told him about it in the morning, how I had played with him and I had sucked him off a little bit and um, like really felt him up a bunch and it was super hot and we were both really hot about it. He was really hot hearing about it afterwards because he didn't fully wake up. It was super fun. I think having a change of scene out of the usual place, go on a vacation, go camping, go somewhere out of town. So just my experience with it. It's super fun. It's super hot. Yes is yes. You've already said yes. You can change your mind, but you already said yes. It's fine. Go for it. Hey, Dan. This is a comment on last week's show in regards to the woman who was fretting about giving her boyfriend a blowjob while he was asleep. Now, I've been married for a long number of years. And my husband has told me that when he wakes up to his dick in my mouth, it is his fucking favorite thing in the world. So, with fretting, you know, if you know he's got a big thing going on in the morning, you don't do it that more that night. Otherwise, soft plastic dick in your mouth, get it hard while he's sleeping. Well, thank you so much. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. The Hump 2022 Spring Tour is over, which means it's time for everyone to start thinking about and working on your films for submitting to Hump 2023. Submissions are open now through December 9th, so now is the perfect time for you and your best friend slash lover slash life partner slash polycules slash magnum sub or magnum dom to start thinking about the dirty porn flick you want to make and submit to Hump. Hump films can be hardcore, softcore, erotica, live action, animation, mini documentaries, all genders, all sexual orientations, all kinks, and all of the many and wonderful variations on vanilla. Welcome at Hump. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit for all the info you need to star in next year's Hump Film Festival. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Listen to Jesse Tyler Ferguson narrate Gay Pride and Prejudice right now on Spotify. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. I'll be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.